Hello and welcome back to the Her Podcast. It's been a minute. I'm Neve Marr, the head of content with Her. It's so good to be back. We've been out of action for a time, cleaning things up and getting some fantastic content ready for you. In the meantime, we thought it would be highly appropriate for us to blow our own trumpet as Girls With Goals has recently been nominated for an International Women's Podcast Award, which we're clearly over the moon about. We're not saying goodbye to Girls With Goals, but we are moving forward. The show will now be known as the Her Pod. We'll be here to entertain, engage and empower and speak to some pretty incredible individuals along the way. Exciting times ahead. We wanted to kick things off with an important topic. The Better Maternity Care campaign has been fighting for the rights of women and families for months now. They've called for a dedicated roadmap for maternity restrictions, as well as calling on the Minister for Health to immediately intervene and end all partner restrictions access across Irish maternity services. They're now taking to the streets as they're finally saying enough is enough. Linda Kelly is the founder of Women Ascend and we invited her on the show to tell us more about the campaign. Linda, it's so good to have you on the show. It's been a massive few weeks and months for the Better Maternity Care campaign. Highs and lows, highs obviously meaning there's been a huge outpouring of support for the work that you guys have been doing, the tireless work that you've been doing. But of course, the lows, the actual situation and hearing the frankly horrifying stories of what so many families have been going through during the pandemic. So firstly, Linda, would you be able to give us a little bit of an update on where things are at currently with restrictions for maternity care and hospitals and the big issues that women and partners are still facing? Yeah, I can do that. Um, it'll take a little bit of explaining because it's not an easy yes or no answer, you know, um, at the moment. And that's very that's one of the problems for people is that it's very hard to actually get accurate information from hospitals. So they don't have accurate information on their websites. Um, and when you talk to staff in hospitals, you can get different answers depending on who you talk to. Uh, where it's at at the minute is the HSC has announced a new set of guidelines that were meant to take effect from the 13th of September. And that would improve the situation from where we had women turning up to hospital in labour, going in on their own, having to leave their partner outside. Under the revised guidelines from the 13th of the September, that's not meant to happen anymore. Okay. When you get to a hospital in labour, you're meant to have your partner with you until you are assigned a bed. But then what happens next depends on where your bed is in the hospital. So if your bed is in a multi-bed ward, your partner will be asked to leave until the visiting hours of that hospital kick in. If you're in a single occupancy room or if you're in a delivery suite, which is normally a single occupancy room, your partner can stay with you for the entirety. Um, and that's probably one of the areas where there's still a lot of heartache for people because when you're induced, typically you're in a multi-bed area. And so for a lot of people who are facing into uh, an induction of labor, they are going to have to spend a considerable amount of time on their own. Um, and that's very, very difficult for people in circumstances when the rest of the country is open up. People are on their own for all of their antenatal appointments still. 
they are on their own for all of the scans and everything outside of the 12 week and the 20 week scan. So a lot of people kind of from around 32 weeks will have to go for growth scans, will have to go for unscheduled scans. You're on your own for all of those appointments. And that's very difficult for people still. Yeah, absolutely. I think like just to to jump in there for one second, Linda, to really kind of hammer home to our audience about, you know, what people are facing now. One of the things that I know I was very confused about and one of the things that I didn't understand, because I know as well that there are conflicting priorities and that there's also a lot of conflicting information that's coming you know, from from government and not enough answers from the people that we want the answers from as well. And then, of course, the HSE are, you know, following the guidelines that they are deeming appropriate. Um, I suppose one of the questions I want to ask you about is about the antigen and the, and the testing. Has that moved on? Has that conversation moved on to a point now where we're going to see an implementation of that when it comes to visitors? Because I suppose if we were to look at wider um, industries like entertainment and tourism, that's something that's being used and it's just not really a part of the conversation when it comes to maternity care or, or hospitals in general, really. So it was very much a big part of the conversation when we met with the HSC last. Yeah. They are not willing to recommend the use of antigen testing in hospital settings. Right. Their rationale is very, very weak. Uh, what they have said Really, if I were to kind of give you my impression of their answer, it's that it's too much effort. It's too much effort to come up with scenarios for what happens when somebody refuses an antigen test. And they want hospitals to focus instead on mask wearing, hand hygiene, social distancing. I think it's the wrong call. I think it's absolutely the wrong call because yeah. we know they can be very effective in helping to mitigate the risk of COVID yeah. and the risk of COVID in a hospital setting. Um, but from a HSE infection prevention control, they've considered it and they're not willing to move forward with it. And I think that's one of the roadblocks that is there at the moment to getting this situation resolved. Okay, so that's that's pretty much almost a full stop. It's just not being considered at the moment and whereby a lot of people who are, I suppose, outside looking in might look at that as maybe a reasonable option. Um, it's something that's just not being considered by the HSE. Okay, well, that's kind of good to know. I suppose then, Linda, let's move on a little bit to some of the meetings that you've been having. I know you've had a lot of support um, from politicians, uh, but, you know, obviously I saw on the social media for better maternity care that you have asked for an urgent meeting with Stephen Donnelly. Can you give us an update on where you are with that, with talking directly to the health minister, because I know as well in the last week he's come out with a report that is very specific to women's health. um, And yet it seems like there hasn't really been movement on that. Can you give us a little update on it? Yeah, so he's ignoring us. That's the update. Uh, he There's been no response to our request for an urgent meeting with the minister. Um, he is very good at making media statements around different aspects to do with the restrictions. If you cast your mind back to May, he actually made a promise in a media interview that he would end all partner restrictions. So we're quite surprised that he hasn't come back to us, given that he himself has said he's committed to ending these restrictions. Um, we're still going to ask for that meeting. And we had a really positive meeting yesterday with the Oireachtas Women's Caucus. Yes. And we had women from all parties and none and they're going to push um, for their ministerial colleague to meet with us as well. 
I think it's important to note as well, we did get in touch with uh, with Stephen Donnelly's office to, I suppose, put to him some of the questions that you yourself and the campaign has all have raised. Um, at the time of recording, we hadn't heard anything uh, back from him. But I suppose like when you see such a massive report come out whereby the big issue is to do with listening to women. And I, I think they actually called it a radical listening um, piece of research as well and um, that was set up by the Women's Health Task Force. Um, you know, how did that make you feel and how did it make people that you've been talking to, I suppose, within the campaign as well when it comes to, like, this is not a quiet kind of campaign. This is this is loud. So many people are being affected by it. You've gathered massive numbers. There's been protests. There's been conversations. You've met with, with members of Parliament, government. So, like, how does that feel when then something comes out that says we're listening when in actual fact, like you said, you're being ignored? It's It's hard to take. You know, it is, um, that's for sure. I think it feels very disingenuous. Um, there have been a number of these announcements. And if I was very, very cynical, you can plot at every moment when the campaign has a big media in interest in it. And there were a number of points like that along the campaign. Pretty much within a few days, there was an announcement from the minister's office for something women's health related. So there was an announcement around breastfeeding funding. There was an announcement about menopause clinic. There was the women's health report. And so there's definitely a trajectory where, you know, the campaign gains a lot of notoriety, as you say, because it's it's quite loud and quite vocal. And then there's this sort of sidestep by the minister. I think really all people want is a meaningful engagement with the minister to try and end this. And if he's serious about listening to women and if he's serious about championing championing women's health care, then he needs to step up to the plate and deliver that. I want to talk a little about um, the mental health aspect of this, because I think what people who aren't experiencing it, the one thing that they're really connecting with is the stories of the families and them, you know, even after Uh, a delivery, you know, and after they've had their baby, they're coming out with these battle scars, essentially, of of the of the situations that they had to go through and the feelings that they had to go through. And of course, every pregnancy is different and everybody's experience is different as well. So, you know, we won't go into generalizing. But I mean, from yourself, Linda, and from obviously hearing a lot of these stories, do you think that the mental health impact of this is something that we're going to be seeing for years to come? Yeah, there, you've absolutely hit the nail on the head, Of You know, there are huge mental health impacts on entire families because of these restrictions. And a lot of it is actually quite delayed because what, what I see a lot of in the messages from people is I had my baby six months ago. I got through it as best I could. But now I'm having, you know, flashbacks to what happened. I'm finding it really difficult to engage about the thought maybe of having a second child or another child um, in their family if that's what they want to do. Um, And so you're seeing it come around full circle for people. And that's really hugely difficult. We know like there's research now because we're so far into the pandemic. There is academic research to show that these restrictions are having a significant mental health impact on people. But we're dealing with it in the very real day to day um, of the campaign. We get messages 
I would say every evening from people who are distressed and who are anxious about the restrictions. And I think it's really important that the the politicians and the people at the HSE realise this this is a problem that has to be solved. Like there is no other alternative because if we don't solve it, you are just relegating women's mental health and women's experience of giving birth to the dust pile. And that's not like we're we're a better society than that. And we're a better country than that. And so I think there just there really only needs to be a real focus and priority on this issue because there are lots of solutions. It's not it's not an intractable problem. Um, And I think it would be really good if we could get that because women deserve that and their families deserve that. I think as well, you know, I think that there's been turning points within well, I mean, throughout the entire pandemic, there's been, you know, moments that uh, certain people remember. And I think back, you know, if we look 18 months ago, longer now at this point, when everybody was under severe lockdown and all of the restrictions, it did really feel like there was a certain sense of, you know, okay, this has to happen. This is something that we're all kind of taking one for the team. And I think now that the guidelines are in and that essentially everything is open and, you know, we're covering on site about how at the end of this month there's going to be nightclub runs that are going to be on until 6am in the morning. And, you know, it's very much a return to situation that we're seeing now. And yes, you know, there are families that are still going through this. There are partners that are still being restricted access. And I think that that's really, and actually on that point, the Rotunda uh, TV show was was very much, I think, a turning point because I don't know if anybody was expecting it. I don't know if the Rotunda or RTE were expecting to see the amount of backlash that happened with it. Um, but it was quite shocking to see that something like that was considered to be okay. And I know that you also had a real Rotunda event kind of in opposition to the TV show. So can you tell us a little bit about that and how you've been dealing with 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 that whole situation, not only, you know, with the campaign, but also with kind of dealing with, I'm sure, the amount of DMs and messages that you're getting from people on it? I think one of the things is that people are sick to their stomach with the restrictions. You know, there's a real visceral response because they do find it really hard to understand how can we prioritize 40,000 people at a sports match or however many hundred in a nightclub. But yet I can't have the person, you know, that I love the most and trust the most with me in this really vulnerable healthcare moment. There hasn't been anybody at senior level within the HSC or with government who's been able to actually answer that question for people. Um, And I think that is where the rotunda really galled people because they have all of these questions about the opening up of society, about the fact that they have been totally forgotten about. And then you see a TV show, which, you know, has a valid purpose in, you know, pre-COVID times around providing an opportunity for people to tell their stories, but which really galled people. I think um, I think it's also the people didn't understand how a hospital which severely restricted people's access at the same time could allow other people in who were an infection control risk. Everybody who goes into a hospital is an infection control risk. That's why they're they're supposedly stopping partners. Um, but then how can you allow a TV crew like that? That's something a question that people have answered, have asked and um, excuse me. And so we decided, having watched the show, 
And to be fair, we gave it an opportunity. We watched the first episode. Um, I think what in, infuriated people even more than the fact that TV crews were in the hospital was that the TV show didn't accurately reflect the record of what it is like to be pregnant, yeah. have a loss or give birth in the pandemic. And so we decided to correct that. And we had the event last night. Uh, there was 175 people at it, um, which was really big um, for a campaign event. And the stories were beautiful and honest and raw and harrowing. And that's the reality of what it's been like to be pregnant. I'm in that boat. I gave birth last summer. I was on my own for three days in a hospital with a newborn after a section it's not an easy experience. It's not light and fluffy TV. It's very difficult. And I thought what was also interesting today was I found out that the Rotunda, the second episode of the show, dropped 5% in its share of the audience um, because people turned it off. People yeah. switched it off because it didn't meet the public service remit that it really was trying to. It's so interesting because when you say you know, that you watch the first episode to see because the response that everybody was getting, and of course it was all over the media at the time, the, res the response that people were getting was that this is, you know, a public service uh, program and basically we're going to show this and it's important to show it. But like you said there, it, it didn't really, it didn't actually expose the experience. And I suppose that's probably one of the things that, hospitals and potentially the national broadcaster don't actually want to do. Um, Linda, I suppose kind of looking towards the future a little bit and obviously the work that you've been doing is outstanding and the campaign is really gathering momentum and there has been positives, you know, like with, I suppose, the backlash with the Rotunda, you know, there were statements then about some restrictions being eased within that specific hospital. But I suppose looking to the future, what are the next steps then with the campaign? You said earlier that you are being ignored by the health minister. Where do you go from here with the campaign? We're bringing hundreds of people to his doorstep. That's where we're going. So on the 6th of October at one o'clock outside Dáil Éireann, we will be protesting under the banner March for Maternity. Uh, there is huge interest already. We only announced it last night at the Real Rotunda event. But we're, we have to be in the end game now of this campaign. We have been at it doggedly for the last year and it is now make or break. And what we want is for each hospital to revert to pre-pandemic access for one nominated support partner. No more, no less and no compromises. And on that basis, we're meeting with the HSC at the end of September that's what we'll be putting to them. We would like to meet with the minister beforehand if he can deign to find the time to meet with us. Mm -hmm. But regardless, we will be marching to Leinster House on the 6th of October um, to really try and get this across the line. And the fact that it has come to that is an indictment, I think, on this government and on the senior leaders in the HSC because they are there they have put the women of ireland in a situation where they're coming with their newborns they're coming with their toddlers they're coming with their bumps and with their partners to protest about something that should be an essential care service you know it's not like we're asking for the sun moon and the stars people are asking for a very basic healthcare essential right i want to read a tweet that i saw only in the last couple of days. And I think that's one of the things that sometimes when it comes to these issues, people seem to be getting, not used to it, but there does seem to be a bit of 
um, desensitization, especially when it comes to, I suppose, people have been going through so much for so long um, that people forget what the experience is. And there was this one tweet that I saw and um, it was from a woman called Nicole underscore LG. And it reads, I'm 28 weeks pregnant, attended another antenatal appointment alone, along with every other woman there, saw baby on screen, heard heartbeat, vaccinated husband, missing it all. I got a full capacity train home. Please end restrictions for partners. And she tagged Stephen Donnelly as well as hashtag better maternity care. It's that I got a full capacity train home that I think resonates so much with people because that's what people need to understand now as well. These are limiting, life-altering restrictions that people are going to remember for the rest of their lives and then they're hopping on the Lewis or the train or however they get home and it's full capacity and life is back to normal. And that's what I think is is just not okay and that they really do have to sit up and start taking notice. This isn't something that has happened in the past and that now people are still just talking about. This happened a couple of days ago. This is still happening to this very day. That's absolutely um, true. I think there is lots of contradictions like that around the the whole campaign. So at one point a number of weeks ago, um, the Rotunda again came out and they said, we're not actually going to implement the HSC guidelines because we've done an internal survey and the vaccination rate isn't high enough. 90% of the adult population are now vaccinated. There is a huge safety net for everybody crossing every threshold of every maternity unit. But yet that doesn't seem to be good enough for the HSC to lift these restrictions. They also then won't use antigen testing. So each time we have this conversation with them, they change the goalposts. Yeah. And that's not good enough because, you know, there are so many other sectors of society whereby we're back in business, we're back to going about our daily lives. And how can we not have that situation for people at a really vulnerable time and it's not equally it's not just maternity care like that is one aspect of it but I see people contact me about other aspects of hospital care as well Mm -hmm. particularly where their elderly parents are in hospital and hospitals refusing visitation to that person that's not what is in the HSC guidelines and it has raised even more questions about well who's running hospitals yeah. And who's running the HSE? Because there definitely is an accountability piece that is missing in all of this. That is a podcast for another day, Neil. Yeah, um, I, I agree. It a lot of questions. I think as well, I, I do want to, you know, just, I suppose, spare a thought and, and talk a little bit about the doctors and the nurses who are obviously, you know, in the system. And I've seen a lot of support as well for appropriate care that people are receiving and I suppose can you comment on people who are within the system and I suppose are feeling very tied by these guidelines and you know not necessarily agreeing with them but at the same time there's only so much that people who are in the healthcare system can do as well because I feel like it's very important not to tar everybody with the same brush this seems to be something that is obviously above a lot of people's heads and it's not just the women and the partners and the families who are experiencing it it's also you know the workers who are in there every single day who are having to deal with this and I'm sure they're having to deal with a lot of upset themselves too. 
Yeah, you're absolutely right. This is a management-led decision and a management-led implementation. That is or has always been the focus of the campaign because we know that only for the midwives and only for the doctors on the ground and for the healthcare staff, whether they're delivering lunches or taking admissions, whatever their role is within the hospitals, we know that they are the only people making this situation anyway bearable for people. And even last night on our event, The Real Rotunda, so many people spoke about the fact that their midwives were absolutely incredible yeah. and only for them they would have come out with so much more trauma. So it's a really important point to acknowledge. And I think, you know, one of the one of the most heartbreaking aspects of all of this have been the messages we have gotten from staff yeah. who are too afraid to speak out, who are too afraid to actually challenge the restrictions in their hospital, mm -hmm. who come to us and they say, we really support you and we're really sorry we can't say it louder. And I think, you know, that we we can build a better health service than that we can build a better maternity service because people deserve to be valued at whatever way they're engaging with those services whether it's by staffing them or whether it's by availing of them I think as well like just kind of speaking about I suppose the 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 support element of it and trying to look at the positives you have had support from uh, politicians, you know, um, Senator Pauline O'Reilly, Regina O'Doherty, Patrick Costello, Ivana Bacic, just to name a few. As well, the Taoiseach has also said on numerous occasions that the restrictions are unacceptable. And, and I suppose, can you tell me a little bit about the work that you've been doing that has been positive um, with the politicians who are obviously there and, and want to talk about this and, and want to get the restrictions eased and and actually not necessarily just to lift everything but I suppose to to have that engaging conversation and to open it up and to really try and change it in a way that can work but that is safe for all involved. Yeah I think we're in a really unique situation as a campaign and I've never really seen it before whereby every single political party supports us um, and as much as possible, people have been trying to push it within their own spheres of influence and within their own local hospitals. And a lot of politicians have made a really big impact with with their local hospital as well. Yeah. It's not just lobbying internally um, with the Minister for Health, for example. Um, and so then it just becomes a bit more mind boggling that the restrictions are still in place because we have a very united, the government and the opposition are not at odds on this. Everybody is united in their wish to end the restrictions. Um, and I think it's it's really now about putting a lot of that positive energy and putting a lot of that positive goodwill into just prioritizing this for a number of weeks to actually work out where are the push points for hospitals, where are the risk factors, and then how do we put in infection prevention control for those? Because you have to remember that these are healthcare settings. They already have infection prevention control measures. COVID isn't the first infectious disease to come into a hospital. You know, we all have heard about MRSA. Yeah. We've heard about other diseases. And so it's really just about making sure that we're able to do this safely. And absolutely, those solutions are there. But it just hasn't had the focus that it, it's needed to have over the past 18 months. And I think if we can focus on it over the next three weeks, 
then hopefully maybe we won't have to march on the doll. You know, I would love nothing more than to have to cancel that. That's. I was just going to ask that October 6th, you know, you, you mentioned earlier you're taking to the streets and you're going to bring the argument to the doorstep of the health minister. Um, what would need to happen in terms of like actualities, like points that would need to happen in order to not march? The guidelines would need to be updated to yeah. say that every hospital is instructed to revert back to pre-pandemic access. And just in case people think I'm asking for something incredible here, Niamh, six hospitals already have done that. So six of the 19 hospitals, the National Maternity Hospital and most of the hospitals in the Salesha Group, which is the west and northwest of the country, by and large, with the exception of some outpatient appointments, have gone back to pre-pandemic access and haven't experienced a balloon of outbreaks. I think there's been one in four months um, and that's been managed locally in the hospital and managed well. So this is all very doable if there's political will to do it. And so I really would reiterate if Stephen Donnelly is listening to your award nominated podcast. Oh, we'll make um, sure he does. Fear ever responds to my emails. Um, but it's just it's it's just really important at this stage for him to get in the room and yeah. to understand where this is at because there is, there has been a lot of misinformation there has been a lot of inaccurate reporting and I think that's something that we can cut through when you're all in the same room together and actually find solutions it's not beyond us by any stretch and that's like that's the thing I mean surely the minister for health wants to get to a position where women and families across the country who are embarking upon what is, you know, meant to be an exciting time, of course, um, can go through that and experience it in a good way. If he's commissioning these reports to talk about the importance of listening to women when it comes to their health. Linda, we're not even talking about the other aspects of health when it comes to women. Like we're we're talking about maternity services today. But this goes beyond that as well. This goes in general when it comes to accessing health care for women in this country. It's something that commissioning reports is fine. Do that all day if you want to. But if we don't see action coming from it, we're going to continue to shout about Yeah, I think it's probably one of the most frustrating aspects of this is that, you know, we have had to shout very, very loudly for a very long time even to just get this on the agenda. Yeah. Um, and it should have been on the agenda from the start. Um, I think I will never forget back last, I think it was May, very early doors in the pandemic and the government announced their living with COVID plan, the original one with all of the different levels. Yeah. And it was a 64 page document and I was heavily pregnant at the time and I was like, right, this is it now. This is going to, you know, outline what's happening in hospitals. It won't just be all the hospitals are shut down anymore. And I read every single page of that document and there wasn't a single mention of maternity services, which are a planned essential healthcare service that have to run every day of the week, every week of the year. And that was when I knew that this was going to be hugely, hugely difficult. And because if you weren't included at the table at that point in time, what we've seen now is we've been chasing decision makers to catch up to their priorities, priorities that haven't been in line with the priorities of women, women who by and large have shouldered the burden of the pandemic, which is what the research here and globally shows us. And there's such a mismatch there. 
And, you know, we know that's because there's not enough women leaders in our decision making structures, you know. Absolutely. I feel like we could talk about this for another hour. For another hour, Linda. But it's an unfortunate situation that you do have to continue to shout about. But I think, you know, it's what needs to be done. October 6th, you mentioned um, you're going to march and we're all hoping that it doesn't get to that and that there are new guidelines published before that. But, you know, if the the weeks roll on and it doesn't happen, that is the next step in the campaign. So for anybody who's listening, uh, how can people get involved and how can people learn a little bit more about this in case they want to learn more about the exact guidelines that are happening now? But just in general, I think everybody should know about this. This isn't necessarily the people who are involved in its problem that all of us who maybe aren't pregnant or don't know anybody who's pregnant should sit back and go, you know what, it's not my issue. This is an entire island issue. This is an Irish issue and everybody should know about it. So can you please let us know how people can get more information on the campaign? Yeah, so the campaign hashtag, as you've said, kind of throughout the interview, is Better Maternity Care. So wherever you go on socials, you can find us there. Predominantly, we're on Instagram, which is where most people affected by this are. So I run Women Ascend, which is my own personal um, passion project. And that's where a lot of the information is. And my co-campaigner, Emma, who runs the In Our Shoes COVID Pregnancy, is also on Instagram and Facebook. So you get your information there. And then on Twitter, I'm at Linda B. You can find information there as well. And on both pages, we have a link tree and people will find the link to the current guidelines, the link to the campaign fact check. You'll find links, um, you know, after the end of today to get tickets for the March for Maternity. We're just asking people. It's not an actual ticketed event. Yeah, we're just asking people to register so that we can get in contact with people and just get an idea of numbers for planning purposes, because marches and demos are a bit of a different beast now at the moment. Definitely. So just ask people to let us know in advance if they're planning on coming. Absolutely. And we're going to put all the information that you just mentioned there in the description box below as well. And of course, as I mentioned, we did reach out to the Department of Health and to Stephen Donnelly's office and posed questions that we were going to talk to you about. We haven't heard back, but if we do hear back, we will update accordingly. And look, I hope he comes to the table. I hope that you guys do get that conversation. It's great that the support is is coming in, but it needs to continue. And I am really in awe of the fight that you're doing because it also must be exhausting, Linda, just in general. Like you really are. It's, it's a big campaign that you're running. So absolute hats off to you and all the people behind the scenes as well who's keeping it alive and keeping the conversation going. I would ask, is the... Um, the kind of opposition to the Rotunda TV show, is that going to be a regular thing or was that more so just that one event? And then, you know, if you see a drop off on that or is that just going to be kind of put aside now? I think we did record the event last night um, and so people will be able to watch it back. But I think, you know, we're moving on now and we really want to mobilize people to the march. And we also want to prepare for the meeting with the HSE next week as well. The Oireachtas Women's Caucus are writing to the minister and to the HSE as well. um, And they have some events planned around that. So we're moving on. Um, I think, you know, the Rotunda has taken up enough time um, at various points in this campaign um, so we're just really interested in making sure that the lived experience of women in this pandemic, particularly around maternity services, are heard and are heard at the very highest level and that we find solutions for them because nobody should go through what women have gone through in the last 18 months. And definitely 
you know, for the people who had babies at the start of the pandemic and who are now going back in and facing into giving birth to their second baby, um, you know, they really deserve a better situation. Absolutely. Linda, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure and I look forward to seeing what happens next in the campaign and hopefully it's all the good news that we need to hear. So thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Thanks a million, Neve.